KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Yes, you're very welcome along to KCL or live this Tuesday morning. It's the 22nd of August. And it's just gone six minutes past ten. I hope you're keeping well. Free phone us if you need to get in contact. That number is 1800 9696. Our text and WhatsApps, of course, are there as well, should you want to get in contact that way. That number, 083 306 9696, will come straight through to us here in studio. Or if you wanted to send us an email, kclrlive at kclr96fm.com. And just in case you're wondering, that email, you can email at any point during the day. You don't have to do that during the live show. What have we got for you this morning on the live show? Well, we're going to give you another opportunity to try and win €200 Euros with our mystery sound brought to you by Hearts. La Hearts will be checking in with Catherine Thomas live from the Rose Tralee Festival um, in just a few moments' time. Also, we'll be hearing about a new bus link um, TFI local um, no, n- announcing that the route they've been after for quite a while now to service South Carlo it looks like that's going to head Jackie Mealy and Councillor Willie Quinn will be joining us around about 10 past 10 to find out more about that also Noreen Carter is a Carlo volunteer advocate for the National Council of Blind in Ireland and Graeme McGrath well he's the communications executive with the NCBI they'll be talking about their new Clear Our Paths campaign and Jerry Farrell will be here at around about 25 to 11. All that to do and more. But first of all, before we kick off this morning, we wanted to give big congratulations, a big shout out to the people at the Left Bank here in Kilkenny. They've just picked up gold in the City Bar of the Year category in the prestigious Bar of the Year Awards. Congratulations to all of the team up at the Left Bank. And uh, a final little announcement for you this morning. Due to uh, leak detection works taking place, uh, serving the Green Road, Granby Row, Riverside, Hanover Road, Mortistown and Kilkenny Roads area, the water may need to be turned off there from 10pm until 2 AM due to leak detection works uh, that water serving College Green Tullow Street and the town centre may also need to be turned off from 7pm till 4am um, and that's on August the 23rd tomorrow so do bear that in mind if that area is where you are. Um, time now to go over to uh, Garda Superintendent Aidan Brennan because uh, tragic news reaching us over the night of another death on the roads. Um, Superintendent Aidan Brennan, good morning and welcome along to KC Law Live. Good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. Uh, yes, unfortunately we had a tragedy on our roads here in Kilkenny during the night. Um, at about half past one this morning we had a white Volkswagen caddy van uh, travelling towards Freshford from the, the Johnston Orlingford direction and um, it collided with a stone wall there near the townland of Clamanta there. Uh, your listeners may be familiar there, there's an old stone castle there, a beautiful building there on the left hand side and it was near this location that this uh, collision occurred. So we had two occupants of that car and sadly one man in his 30s uh, sustained fatal injuries and he was pronounced dead at the scene. So uh, the other man was taken to St. Luke's Hospital and is receiving treatment there. Um, so obviously we will be appealing to your listeners there for anyone that was in the area at approximately 1.30am this morning and who may have witnessed that or may have witnessed that uh, Volkswagen caddy van 
uh, on that route around this time if anybody saw that or if anybody has dash cam footage in relation to this uh, on their vehicle that would be uh, most willing uh, that they would contact us here at the Garda station in Kilkenny mm, I mean it's yet another death on our roads I mean road deaths this year the figures just seem to be going up and up and up um, is there any sort of insight or any sort of inclination as to why we're seeing such an increase in those road numbers and uh, the numbers of fatalities given, given the amount of effort that everybody puts in to try and stay safe and to remind people to stay safe well, I don't think there's any, you know, there's no particular team, there's no particular, uh, I suppose, uh, cause for any one accident in particular. Sometimes during the summer months, we may see as an increase in motorcyclists um, and and the like, where, you know, the occasional users of motorcycles uh, sadly are, 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 are killed in collisions. Uh, there's no particular reason, but... I suppose the one thing we always want to emphasise to your listeners and to the road users is that the roads are a dangerous place. You know, they're a great safe way from travelling from place to place and all that. But, you know, tragedies can occur, you know, and it's distracted driving, you know, using your mobile phone, not watching where you're going and all of those sort of things. Wearing your seatbelt is the most, I suppose, critical safety uh, feature that you can do when you're, when you're driving on the roads. Uh, we always try and uh, reinforce those points about road safety and taking care on the roads when you're using them. And if you're a pedestrian or if you're a cyclist, make sure you're wearing high visibility clothing so that you can be seen. And just finally, Superintendent, um, texters in saying that they're travelling along that road or in that area and they're actually finding it quite difficult to find or follow the diversionary routes around the area. Um, uh, can you give listeners any advice? I presume those diversions should be quite well marked. Those diversions should be more well marked. We have personnel on the scene there, so if you want and if you're not sure where to go, just stop, roll down your window and guard you there at those diversions. They'll be only too happy to make sure that you get safely to your destination. Uh, we hope to lift those diversions probably uh, later on this afternoon uh, when our forensic collision team uh, have completed their work there at the scene. And they're on site at the moment, are they? They are, yeah. Uh, Superintendent Aidan Brennan, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, more tragic news of more road deaths um, in Kilkenny and Carlow. Indeed, a trend right across the country. Our thoughts are with the uh, family members of the deceased, as always, at this time this morning. If you are in that area, do be advised that those diversions are in place. Um, and as Superintendent said, if you're unsure where to go, just find one of those members of the force out there and ask them where you should be going now 12 minutes past 10 just before I came on air this morning because one of the busiest ladies in the country at the moment is Carlo's own Catherine Thomas did a fabulous job last night with Dahi O'Shea they looked so natural um, why? well they've known with her for many years just before we went on air and Catherine went into rehearsals at 10 o'clock this morning I found the opportunity to catch up with her to get her thoughts after she came off stage yesterday evening well, Catherine Thomas, good morning. How does it feel uh, now that you've spent one evening on stage with Dahi O'Shea? <laughs> good morning, Brian. Uh, yeah, good. It's sort of like a surreal experience, is how I would describe it, possibly. We've just all had breakfast now, and I'm sitting outside the Dome getting ready for day two. And, uh, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's nothing like the buzz of live television or live radio, as you know. And my whole reason for wanting to do the Rose of Tralee was just to add to what was already there. You know, Dahi and the team have done an amazing job over the last... I think Dahi's been doing it for 12 years. Yeah. To kind of bring us to a level where entertainment is at the core of it. And I suppose what I wanted to do was maybe bring a um, female-focused 
uh, twist to the interviews, you know, and woman to woman having conversations, whether it was about midwifery or whether it was about careers or um, whatever, you know. I, I felt very comfortable. I think the girls felt very comfortable. That was really my main goal last night was mm. to make sure I got the best out of them. And um, and sure, we had loads of crack in between. So I still have a voice. <laughs> it's quite surprising. Despite the fact that Dahi O'Shea has in previous years worn kinky boots on stage and things like that, he can never truly bring the female perspective. So I think it's nice... Uh, to get that but I mean even an experienced broadcaster and TV presenter like yourself there must have been some nerves last night stepping onto that iconic stage for the first time yeah I'm not going to lie I mean I've been down here since Friday so I think as well just as a mom, I'm really starting to miss the girls at this point so uh, and I think that it's very and then as the day approaches you know the rehearsals are, are you're running out of time with rehearsals we ended up having there was a we were evacuated from the dome yesterday because the fire alarm went off so we, were gone, we lost two hours of rehearsals like so all of those things were sort of adding to the the general uh, adrenaline rush that would be coming uh, as you're coming up close to live you know and then I knew like the, the focus was on and um, there was an expectation there and of course you have people who would love you to fail of course and, yeah um, and you have to kind of put that to the side and you've got your people who support you which is 90% of you know well all of your family and friends and then um, all of the, the general the support down here Brian I have to say in Tralee is phenomenal you know the staff in the hotel the staff at the dome uh, even people walking on the beach you know good luck you'll be great <laughs> you'll be grand you'll get through it and of course talking about support we're right behind our own uh, Quiva Deering, uh, the Carla Rose going on stage tonight. I understand she's quite early in the running order and we heard a little rumour yesterday that she will be interviewed by you. All I want to do, Catherine, is, I know running orders are extremely tight and, you know, there'll be somebody waving at you in the background to wrap it up or to move on. But, but please, if you can, give Quiva a little extra minute here or there. Are you looking forward to interviewing the Carla Rose this evening? Yes, I so am. She is an absolute lady. She is great crack. Uh, I mean, Camogie just runs through, uh, and GAA runs through her veins. You know, she's amazing. Obviously, qualified GAA coach, and it's like her her family with her brother Porik playing for Carlo and playing with for Rathbilly. You know, she she represents her community so well. So yeah, I, I'm not allowed to show any favoritism, but I got you, Brian. I, I they they can't stop me talking when I'm live on. Uh, absolutely, and so. you you don't have to show the favoritism, not outwardly anyway. Just just asking, give her a little bit more time. That's all. Listen, I mean the Rose Tralee, uh, fabulous, fabulous event running for so many years. Coming, I would suggest at the right time for RTE as well. Given, let's just say the summer that they've had. Yeah. What's your own thoughts on on how things have been over the summer for RTE? Look, I just think it has been so turbulent you never know what was going to happen from one week to the next one day to the next mm. you know and I have been I, I'm a freelancer you know so I, I kind of you fully get it I mean similar sort of situation to many of the people um, yeah. involved in working in RT and it's, it's that sort of you know anybody that people see on screen in RT at home presume that they work for RT but many of them actually don't um, but I mean Kevin Backhurst making the statement during the week that contractors when they come up for renegotiation of various different contracts will be treated very very differently um, have you started looking around to try and start saving pennies here or there at home for fear of what future contracts might be worth no to be honest I haven't read. I haven't given it much thought yeah. personally at all you know I'm, I'm still in contract I'm still very much I mean this was my biggest focus I'm also working on another show at the moment. Which What's is, that, Catherine? Is, Do tell us. It's called, well, 
Right now, it's called Secret Life of Our Bodies. I'm not sure if that's the working title. Um, it is a medical series, a medical documentary series, which is following people from uh, the beginning right the way through their surgical experience. So whether that is going through cancer or whether that's a knee replacement. And basically what we're doing is um, working with consultants and using VR technology yeah. um, where patients can see what exactly is going to happen in surgery. So it's using technology, dig- digital technology. So say, for example, somebody's going through heart surgery, they get to stand under a huge um, digital um, imprint uh, of their actual heart and see what is happening. Wow. So it's to give patients more autonomy, more understanding. So I've been working on that series all summer. It's so interesting, so fascinating, and that's coming Lots on. to come. In, so you're, you're, you're going to be okay for a while yet anyway, but looking forward lastly to this evening, you know, are you going to miss it when it's done? Would you be already thinking towards next year, and will you miss Dahi O'Shea? I know four or five days is not that much time, and you've known Dahi for many years. Um, mm-hmm. Is he looking after you? Listen, I mean, we've been try- we've been swimming every day. We've been trying to now, not obviously yesterday or today, but I've been down here since Friday. We've been swimming out in Banistrand, going out for walks, you know, and it's been really nice to connect and, and kind of spend time again with them, which is not just on stage. And, and I look, I think that's why, why it, 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 hopefully it works, because we are genuine friends. And it's very, it would be very hard to step into a role like that when somebody's been hosting for 12 years and kind of have... You know, try to pretend that there is a relationship yeah, there. Yeah. We haven't done yet. You know, we've been mates that long, um, that it's just comfortable. You know, and mm. um, so yeah. Listen, it's 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 a whirlwind, though, Brian. As you know yourself, you you, you get up at half seven, and you I was in bed last night at two, and you're on. <laughs> time, so. Well, you're nearly there. You've only will got. I, will I miss him when he's gone? Probably not. <laughs> Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Looking forward to get back to it. Well, listen, last little question for you. How long are each of the interview slots on the run and order? Um, I'm not... I I, I think it can be... It depends on whether somebody's performing or not, but it's anywhere between six and eight minutes. Okay, so we need need at least ten minutes... At least 10 minutes for this evening for our Carla Rose. <laughs> Catherine Thomas, as always, a pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on uh, being the first female co-host on the Rose of Tralee. And uh, make sure Dahi O'Shea minds you. And don't go too hard at it this evening when the uh, show is all done and dusted. I'll be wrapped up in bed by 12. You know me, Brian. <laughs> Take never, care, Catherine. Never want to have a party. <laughs> Take care. Pleasure talking to you, as always. Catherine Thomas talking to us there before she began rehearsals uh, for the second live show in this year's Rose of Tralee Festival. I do hope she gives our very own Carla Rose uh, a little bit of extra time this evening, but we'll all be tuning in to find out. 20 past 10, you can, of course, text on WhatsApp. Maybe you want to send us in some good luck wishes to the Carla Rose Kiva. Um, send them in to us on 83 306 and we'll try and read some of them out for you a little bit later on. We're going to take a short break, after which I'll give you a chance to win some money. KCL or Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie KCLR. You're very welcome back to KCLR Live and the good luck message is already coming in um, for the Carlo Rose this evening. Good luck to the Carlo Rose from all in Mullinavats and indeed probably everybody across Carlo and I think Kilkenny can join in this year as well because Molly can, uh, is the sitting Kilkenny Rose but uh, there's no Kilkenny Rose in the competition so I think everybody in Kilkenny should get behind it, the Carlo Rose this year also. Text messages also coming in with guesses for our mystery sound. We haven't even played it yet this morning and people are already asking me, is it a phone being placed on and taken off the receiver? Well, I can tell you it's not, but I can also tell you I'm going to give you a listen for the first time this morning. 
just now. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hertz Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahertz.ie. So if it's your first time tuning in and listening to this competition, it's worth €200 Euros this week. It's a very short little mystery sound. I'll play it for you for in a moment. And if you think you can identify what that sound is, all we need you to do is text your name along with your guess to our Dinners Ready contact line 083-306-9696 if you can tell me what this is. Yeah, it's, it, it, it sounds like something falling or landing or something like that. Maybe I shouldn't be giving away clues. Maybe that is a clue. Maybe it's not. But have another listen. Let me know what you think. 083-306-9696 all brought to you by the good people at Lahertz. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR with thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at Lahertz Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahertz.ie. Now, after years of fighting for a bus service for the South Carlow area, it's finally come to fruition. I'm joined in studio by Jackie Mealy, manager of TFI Local Link right here in Killen Hill in Kilkenny. And councillor Willie Quinn joined us on the line to tell us more about it. Good morning to you, Willie. Brian, how are you? Great to have you at the show. If I come to Jackie, first of all, um, you're obviously the manager for TFI Local Link. Um, how long has this been? You've been fighting for this bus route. I think it goes back a, a couple of years, uh, even since pre-COVID. Uh, I remember we were down, and Willie will probably remember we were down in Boris uh, when we had a focus group meeting there, and that was well before COVID. Uh, we had a large attendance on a very cold night, and uh, we had about 50 people there, if I remember correctly. And uh, one of the services that, that came out very clearly at the time was a service from South Carlo up to Carlo. Maybe. Yeah, I mean that, those those public those public meetings are key for getting that information. And obviously, um, as as being from TFI, it's it's your job to then put those links into place. But Willie Quinn, um, how much was there a demand or a need or a want for this from the people of South Carlo? Oh, like this, this has been going on, like it says before COVID. But I I've been involved in this probably maybe four or five years. And another fellow colleague of mine at the Bangladesh Municipal District Council, Michael Dorn. As I was being there, to, to, uh, like which wasn't myself, was was arguing the point. It was Michael and my colleagues as well. So, you know, uh, it's not just myself, but for everyone that's involved, and Jackie has played a major role in it. As has our director of services, Parik O'Gorman, and our previous director of services, Dan McInerney. Dan was very involved in it, and Dan was down at that meeting in Boris on that night. But look, look this is a complete game changer for 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 the whole South Carlo area, for the whole South Carlo, because. The recent new bus service that was launched in Carlow for the town, I mean, you can get now from New Ross the whole way up to Carlow, and then you can get on the bus to Carlow and to go anywhere you want to in Carlow, whether where you want to go, whether it's a doctor's appointment or whatever, you can go there and you can get the bus there. So you don't need to bring your car. You can just park up your car, get on the bus, and you can get to where you want to go. I mean, like I said, I remember, I'm old enough to remember the, the, the last bus service, the great demand of the Dublin bus that used to be there, with Christy Welsh um, is to be the driver on it and that so that's been gone about 25 years so I mean certainly the people of South Carlo are definitely relishing this and I can be talking to a lot of them over the last couple of days there and they are just really looking forward to this and it's a massive service and it's a brilliant service seven days a week three times a day you could mm. ask for better I mean we'll come on and, and Jackie will tell us more about the details on the service and you know where it will service and the route and you know the, those finer sorts of details but Willie just interestingly I mean you said it's been going on for four or five years why is it, it takes so long for an idea like this to come from concept to actual delivery 
I think, you know, I mean, for a long number of years, rural areas in, in all over Ireland have, have been taking a back seat. You know, I mean, like I said, a, a service like this wasn't there for the last 25 years in, in the South Carlow area. And it, it was a very important service when it was there. But because of the lack of, uh, the, lack of the services that weren't there, I mean, people had to use cars. And then people got maybe three or four members of a family in a the house, they had to use three or four cars. And the way the climate uh, change is happening at the moment, something like this is very, very important going forward because we, we don't have an excuse that, oh, I can't get to A, I can't get to B, I have to bring the car, I have to do this. We don't have to do that now. For the colleges, for the new university, uh, for you know, the students that can't get accommodation, like, this is absolutely amazing and it's fabulous for them. But they, they can now get it on the bus and they can travel and they can come home and back and forward and stay at home. They're saving a few quid and they're also like that they have the opportunity to services there for them it's going to make a huge huge difference just lastly uh, Councillor Quinn in terms of people going and using that service it's not going to serve the front doors of many people across rural Ireland but will there be facilities for people to drive to their local stop and, and, and somewhere have parking nearby is that an issue that still needs to be dealt with or is that sort of already been covered no, I, I don't. I don't think that there'll, there'll be a problem with parking because, they, they, I mean, as Jackie will, will, will let you know, the, the areas and the stops just going to going to be there. Like we, in fairness, to Jackie and his team and and uh, the um, director of services and the engineers at, at council level, they have done all this, their homework and all that regarding this. So, I mean, they they know the, the bus stops and they have went to the bus stops where the space is and where people can get on and off the buses, which is very important for safety as well as everything else. Yeah. So, like I mean, Jackie and I said, the team have done a fantastic job, as has the people in, in the council as well. So, Jackie, uh, compliments there from Willie Quinn on the job that you've done to date. But just in terms of that question regarding um, access to the bus stops, I mean, is there going to be parking nearby? What types of locations will those stops be in? Well, I suppose the, the locations uh, that this service will start in Ross, so there's ample parking in Ross, Bally, Bally William Crossroads, that's a fairly rural kind of place and that's that's the idea this is rural yep. transport so I don't see any big traffic jams there <laughs> uh, um, but it might be an area where people might need to have somebody drop them to the bus it yeah, might not be feasible for them to go off and leave the car for the day and I mean now we're looking at walking cycling and all that we have e-scooters they are turning up in the countryside as well as the town so you know there will be ways that people can, can get to the bus stop and, and some of the places are in you know boroughs uh, uh, you know, Bagnallstown, Lachlan Bridge, places like that, wh- where there'll be ample parking. But just just to mention about you asked Willie about uh, you know why these services coming on now. Uh, there there is a fund which uh, which the government, uh, Department of Transport, and the uh, National Transport Authorities have a five year plan. It's called the uh, Connecting Ireland Plan, and it is for this kind of rural uh, service out there, and it, it's covering about uh, sixty five. Five million euros. Uh, we have gone through year one, uh, and uh, there's another four years to go. Uh, even in year one, we have put in a, a couple of services there, reaching into Carlo. Uh, one of the services, the local link at Hunter, comes from Marklow to Carlo every morning, mm. uh, three returns a day. Uh, services the college in Carlo. We have another one uh, that goes from Kilkenny, Castlecomer to Carlo and on again to to Ballylinen and the Thai. So they yeah. are there are two services that have come in under the Connecting Ireland plan. And there are more services that will that is planned. Uh, 
there's more work to be done on them uh, that will come on stream in both Kilkenny and Carlow over we, the next few years. It's great to see it improving. And I mean, we heard Willie Quinn say we haven't had a service like this in something like 25 years. I mean, there's a whole generation of people uh, who've never had access to this type of service. And people maybe of college going age who've never had the facility to go on a bus like this, you know, to get up to Carlow. Um, will it be up and running in time for the, uh, the, the, the start of this well, college year? The start date is uh, this day week, the 28th of August. So I'm not sure when the college is, is starting up. Oh, they've, um, they've loads of time left before yeah, they go back. Time. <laughs> so we'll have it up for them. And there has been quite a, quite a reaction from the, the college cohort. They're looking for a service. And as we know, the uh, accommodation in places like Carlo is very excessive. So we're hoping that this service will help in some way to address that problem for students. But not only students, but... Uh, everybody, people yeah. travelling to work and as Willie said, people travelling onwards to Dublin, etc. will be able to avail of this service. And so. texts coming in from listeners, I mean obviously they're delighted to see the improvement in these services. Um, and one texter here asking um, if I can find out if there's a bus going from Castlecomer I'm trying to do this maths in my yeah. own head. Castlecomer to Carlow uh, for colleges, either with TFI or, or, or Ring of Lincoln and other different uh, services. We have a bus uh, it, that I mentioned a, a second ago. It goes from, from currently from Kilkenny, uh, Castlecomer to Carlow. I'm not sure if the times will, yeah. will work out terribly well because it, that service starts about five o'clock in the morning to to leave Kilkenny so I don't think there'll be too many students getting oh, up well if they time. want to get them degrees but, they'll but have to get up and yeah that, that's possible too so that service is in being and we are kind of looking at that service now again in terms of uh, amending it because we had uh, quite a few people from Ballyragget looking for you know a yeah. multi-trip service we provide a service uh, one return a day ourselves uh, for Castlecombe or Ballyragget and into Kilkenny and back uh, at and, and just o'clock. very quickly Jackie yeah. uh, obviously you've got the times for these three return trips a day yep. what, what, what time will they be departing and arriving in Carlow for example uh, this service will start in Ross at 7.05 now that links with uh, we've had a lot of inquiries from County Wexford indeed uh, about this service also uh, uh, so this will link with uh, a Wexford bus uh, that will come from Wexford to Ross and it will link with that service uh, start at 7.05 uh, it will go on get into Carlow then for 8.45 just yeah. in time for uh, trains to Dublin at that stage and, and college of course then it'll it'll go back again at 11 30 uh 13 30 uh 1600 four o'clock from no ross back of course up. if people were you know they're not going to necessarily be able to sort of work out their travel plans now presumably all of that information in terms of the times and the departures and the location arrivals and um, that's all on tfi's website tfi local link ckw carlo kilkenny wicklow you'll get all that information and this timetable will be there for people to have a look at and as I said there's three returns a day covering from yeah. from 7 o'clock till, till um, I think uh, uh, half past 7 in the evening so, so it's nearly 12 hours a day yeah. so it's also a 39 seater bus wheelchair accessible should people be booking tickets online in advance Jackie? We, we haven't that facility at the moment so uh, you can pay cash uh, use a leap card and there's what they call the TFI Go up, which okay. will be able to purchase. Just get there early. Very quickly, Councillor yeah. Willie Quinn, what will this mean to the people of South Carlow? Absolutely brilliant. It'll be brilliant for the people of South Carlow. But there's just one other point, Brian, there as well. This is a seven day service. 
It's not just a five-day service, it's a seven-day service. So if you're planning a, a, a day trip down to South Carlo or whatever for, for your Sunday and you want to get out for a walk down the barrel track or you want to, <laughs> to, to go up Mount Henson or whatever, you know, that service will bring you from where you want to go to, to, to there so ever the salesman and, and ever the salesman Councillor Willie Quinn thank you very much for joining us on the show this morning and uh, Jackie Mealy manager of TFI Local Inc just based down the road here won't take Jackie long to get back to Killen Hill at all uh, thanks for popping into us it's 24 minutes to 11 o'clock um, after a short break I'm going to be talking to a very very interesting lady Noreen Carter who's a Carlo volunteer advocate with the National Council for the Blind in Ireland KCL or Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. You're welcome back. 22 minutes to 11 o'clock. So many of you seem to be welcoming that bus through and asking us lots of difficult questions about the routes and everything else. We'll try our best to keep that information coming for you. But as you heard, you can check it all out on Transport Infrastructure, TFI Ireland's um, own website if you need further details. Now, a new survey conducted among NCBI service use has revealed that approximately... 40% of respondents who are blind or visually impaired have been injured because of unexpected obstacles or hazard on their footpaths. Joining us this morning to talk about their new Clear Air Paths campaign and what it's like to live as a visually impaired person is uh, Noreen Carter, Carlo Volunteer Advocate with the NCBI. Good morning to you, Noreen. Good morning, Brian. Great to speak to you this morning. Um, first of all, I'd like, if you can, just to tell us a little bit of your story um, in terms of how blindness has impacted your life. Oh, um, well, I suppose um, going from a fully sighted person to somebody with severe sight loss, I mean, I know the um, both sides. Um, it has hugely impacted my life, of course. Um, in saying that, um, I do use certain technologies to assist me in my day-to-day life. Like seeing AI, um, it's an app on my iPhone, and um, for example, um, if I have tins of stuff in the press, I turn on the app and it'll read what the tin is, because one time I actually opened a tin of apricots and put it into the saucepan. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, creativity, I suppose, in, in, in cooking <laughs> is... is a, but you know, do you know what? How, first of all, I need to ask you a question. How did it taste? Mm. <laughs> like apricots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, the challenge is, I mean, it's always interesting to me. Somebody said to me once that... Um, a person is disabled by the world around them rather than by their impairment. And the fact that uh, tins, tins, tins of apricots don't have braille on them, for example, um, is probably would have helped out you in that regard. Um, that particular well, sorry, anecdote... Brian. Yeah, sorry, Brian. I don't know braille because I wasn't born blind. Um, I'm only using a cane since 2011. And braille is very difficult to learn later in life because I actually have... Um, fibromyalgia which affects my short term memory right so you can imagine then you know and I think if you decide to learn braille you really have to stick at it you really you know it's not something you can just ah, I might learn braille you know um, so I don't know braille Brian yeah. and I suppose that's another stereotypical view that people have of um, people with sight loss for example you know people tend to think um, 
if your eyes look okay to them, well, sure, you're, you're, you really don't have a problem. But that's the stereotypical view that has been put out there by the media for years. And, you know, um, we, we had that little sort of, you know, the, the fun story that you gave us about the apricots. You know, mm. But it brings a lot more physical challenges on your day-to-day life, ones that would present much more dangers, particularly when you're out and about. And that brings us to this uh, Clear Our Paths campaign. What's it like trying to navigate the physical world as a visually impaired person? And it's very difficult because, unfortunately, um, you know, we live in a sighted world and those generally within, um, say, the, the, the local council, um, they will yes you and yes you when you speak with them. But things are, what you share with them is not actually implemented. And I find that very frustrating, you know, spending my time and effort engaging with uh, various bodies and the yesing you to death and then nothing changes. I find that very frustrating. And, and as far as injuries go, I was injured myself twice. Um, I was walking into town. Uh, I live about 15 minutes walk from the centre of town and there was overhanging briars and I didn't have my glasses on and um, a thorn broke off and stuck directly under my eye. See, that's the thing. The face, just under, mm. Because even a skilled user of a cane is only really checking the footpath at, at, at low level in front of them. Signage on buildings, things like overhanging branches. That's something that somebody, thankfully, who still has their sight, wouldn't even notice as being an impediment to a person who is visually um, impaired. Exactly. And I suppose when it's brought to their attention, then, it, well, if you can access the owner of the property, that's another issue. But if you can access the owner of the property, they generally are very receptive and will do something about it. Um, but it is a great hazard, a great danger. If I had have been smaller in stature, it would have got me in the eye. Now, I do... Since that incident, I always wear my glasses. Um, they are special glasses. Um, on a sunny day, um, they cut out the blue light from the sun that causes glare. And on a dull day, I wear yellow lenses ones that help um, brighten up my environment. So since that incident, I always have my glasses on. Yeah, you're learning and, from those uh, mistakes. The, the survey yeah. found that the three most common obstacles that people came across were cars parked on footpaths, um, felled pavements, dog, dog poop, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. wheelie bins. Now, to me, they are all three things that we, as members of the public, if we had showed a little bit more um, kindness, a little bit more awareness, that we could help prevent them being impediments. What would you say to members of the public in terms of thinking about their environment to make it safe for for people who may be passing through? Well, that's why we're running this annual campaign, and we're asking the members of the public if they will come on board with us. Stop and actually think about what they're doing and the implications for those who are visually impaired and blind. People are just, you know, rushing, getting about their daily, going about their daily lives. And I suppose it's it's a lack of awareness. So that's why this campaign is done annually to bring awareness to the public. And um, I suppose um, when cars are parked, um, if there's a long front or a long back, they overhang, they can overhang the footpath by a large margin and therefore cause a, a problem and those with the hitch on the back are even more dangerous oh, yeah. yeah it's, a, it, it's mm-hmm. amazing the simple little things that that you know public opinion public um 
what's the word I'm looking for? Education it can make because when I'm parking my car, and I'll openly say this, when I'm parking my car, I normally try and get the wheels relatively close to the curb at the backs. But I'm thinking about it from the point of view, I don't want to leave the nose of the car hanging out for somebody else that's coming in and out to clip. I mean, I it's, know. it's simple yeah. training the whole time. You smaller car, Brian. <laughs> 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 that would be about, or maybe, maybe get myself one of those e-scooters or something like that. But then oh, again, no, they're they're le- they're they're lethal. They are absolutely lethal because I have encountered them on the footpath and they're going so 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 fast. Yeah, yeah, and no matter how how good you are using a cane, you're not going to be able to protect yourself from one of those if they're not being used properly. Well, what you do don't you- see them coming. You don't see them coming. You see, this is the thing. They're on top of you before you know it. Yeah, so Clearing Our Paths, that Clear Our Paths campaign being run by the National Council for the Blind of Ireland. Um, what would you say to people who are, you know, as an appeal to just look outside their, their property, whether it be their own house or a business property, to make those sort of little changes? Yeah. Um, once the wheelie bin has been emptied, or not even to place the wheelie bin in the middle of the footpath, to place it, you know, in an area not uh, inappropriately, and also even regarding street furniture, for it not to be placed inappropriately, because if it's placed inappropriately, it's causing a tight squeeze, and then the person may have to try to get off the footpath and onto the road and or the street. And I mean, people have broken their ankles, fallen and been injured in various ways because of that. And um, and also, you know, the, the lorries, uh, the delivery lorries, if they park in tight against the footpath, if you stop and think about it, Brian, the mirrors on those lorries yeah. go beyond the circumference of the lorries and they're generally right at face level. Yeah, and I was thinking about things the like that. The cane is not going to catch that. Yeah, I was even thinking about the tail lifts, for example. If a tail lift is, let's say, 18 inches, 12, two feet off the ground, um, the cane would quite easily pass underneath that and the first thing that would contact it would be your leg or your shins. I mean, Noreen, it's, it's a, a huge thing to do. I mean, you don't realise the education that you're passing on to people listening in in terms of those small little things that make a difference. Um, it's a mm. great campaign. Um, just go back to your own story to tell me, you know, what was the cause of blindness? You said you only went blind in 2011. Um, well, um, I have a condition called uh, retinitis pigmentosa and it's genetic. My father was blind. Now, growing up, we were told he had glaucoma and I didn't have any mm, symptoms until I was in my 20s, which was night blindness, but I didn't know at that stage that I had the condition. And um, then I started having difficulties in low light situations. So if you went from a sunny day into a, a, a restaurant and it's low light, then I would be functionally handicapped. And then I started, and when I was 26, having problems seeing the newspaper, and I did go to an optician, and she did extra tests, but I didn't know at that time, in my naivety, that these were not the standard tests for, that an optician would do, and she didn't say anything to me. Mm. But I'm glad I didn't know at that stage, because I don't think I was in a position to handle it. So I was 33 years of age when I was diagnosed, and I kind of knew because my sister Bridget up in Canada had been diagnosed with this condition and then subsequently other family members that live abroad and um, so it can happen spontaneously where there is no uh, genetic um, where it's not genetic but yeah. that would be very very rare very very rare uh, yeah and you're right the condition right is mm, mm, yeah the condition is one of the most more difficult ones to manage because um, or deal with, I should say, because it affects uh, all aspects of sight, as in um, 
the peripheral vision is affected, the central vision is affected, the color vision contrast is affected, depth perception is affected. Um, then at the later stage, you end up with photosensitivity, which I now have. So um, it impacts the eye in all areas. Yeah, and you're also finding the time to write a book at the moment. Um, I believe it's going to be called If It Was Only Blindness. How's the progress on the book? (laughs) Yeah, it's a work in progress. Um, (laughs) I don't want anybody to think that I'm negating the seriousness of sight loss. I'm not by the title. And um, I just thought it was a unique title because I don't think many people will rob it on me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's certainly a a fairly unique title in that regard. And it's it's a fairly unique story as well, I might add. Noreen uh, Noreen Carter is Carlo Volunteer Advocate for the National Council of Blind in Ireland, um, calling on all of us to just be aware with their new Clear Air Paths campaign. Noreen, thanks very much for joining us on the show this morning. You're very welcome, Brian. I hope we'll speak again at some other stage. I have no doubt we will. As soon as you're finished that book, we'll be yapping about everything (laughs) that's contained in it. And uh, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but uh, try and stay away from them apricots. I will, Brian, I will. (laughs) Noreen Carter, a pleasure talking to you this morning on the show. It is 10 minutes to 11 o'clock. Do bear in mind, you know, there's people out there who see the world, experience the world in a different way to how we do. And if you can do something to make it a little bit easier for us all, uh, just give it a little bit of thoughts. 10 to 11. Jerry Farrell is here. He'll be joining me after this short break. KCL or Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Yeah, nine minutes now to 11 o'clock. Uh, welcome back into studio, Jerry Farrell from Castleview Financial Services. Good morning, Jerry. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Uh, good I, morning I, to the listeners. I know you were due to have a week off last week, but we had to interrupt you there at the last moment. Apologies for that, but thanks for taking the call. Um, nice little break. Lovely break. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I would recommend Greece for a week to anyone. Well, we, uh, I, <laughs> I, I would take any sort of Greece anywhere, absolutely, at the moment. I would take County Carlow as long as the sun was shining at the moment, but uh, that's for another day. We've got a huge amount to try and get through, um, as always. Back to school costs. I mean, what can we expect to watch out for with primary and secondary school and third level return? Uh, all of that stuff is right on top of us now at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, and you're right. Brian, I mean, there's a huge amount to talk about, really. Let's let's start at the at the beginning with primary schools. So, um, and we touched this at the start of the summer, I think. And there you go. Here we are now, uh, towards the end of August, and schools are back. Just Some are back on Jerry, Thursday. Is it too late now at this stage to do anything about it? I mean, there's no paycheck now between the end of the month and now, and all the kids will be gone back by then. Well, the most important thing we should do for anyone listening who's the parents of small people or maybe not so small people is that we don't panic. Okay. That everybody's more or less in the same boat and we're all, we all face the, more or less the same challenges round about this time every year. But there's some good news and that's, that's really, it's good to bring in some good news, Brian. So for the first time ever, we have, well, certainly for the first time in my lifetime anyway, we have uh, school books, workbooks and copy books at primary school level will be provided free um, for every child in primary. Um, and that's really, really important. So that takes some of the pressure off lots of um, young parents and not so young parents who are who are the parents of, of primary school going children. The costs are still quite expensive. And, and I know at the start of the summer, we had a little bit of a set to on air about 
uh, of our listeners were saying, "Oh, uh, Jerry's in cloud cuckoo land <laughs> if he if he thinks that's the cost of putting a child through primary school." But on average, it's looking at it about one thousand eight hundred and fifty per child per year. That includes more or less everything. But some people will spend I more. I don't remember saying you were in cloud cuckoo land. Some people will spend more, Brian, and some people will spend less. And then we move up to the secondary school level. And I know there's proposals at governmental level to look at introducing um, uh, cost uh, benefits or perhaps even free books at, at secondary school. We're not there yet, but I think we'll see some beneficial supports in the budget in October for from perhaps the following year uh, and years beyond. Uh, but the costs associated with secondary school on average vary anywhere between, depends on who you're reading and, and, and as a parent what you're spending, I guess, but anywhere between two and a half and three and a half thousand per child. Wow. The biggest single cost, uh, and this is a big challenge for our education sector, I would suggest, because we've created a whole industry here. I've put through uh, three children through primary and secondary school, and our youngest is still in third level, Brian, at the moment. But one of the biggest costs associated with secondary school level is grinds, is the payment of um, fees to teachers outside of school to help children perhaps but, Jerry, so exceed. many people out there I mean there's, there's obviously a lot of people who might be able to afford grinds but there's a hell of a lot I would suggest more than that who just simply couldn't stretch to that type of thing what I'm interested in is that figure that you said two and a half to three grand um, is that including you know the likes of those supplementary educational se- sessions yeah so if we look at it say say it's somewhere between two and a half and three and a half thousand um uh, the, the reports that I've been looking at for 2022 suggest that about €950 Euro of that 3000 goes in grind payment. Okay, so you're still looking payments. between 1500 and 2000 Now, what I'm interested in trying to do is, we talked about the fact it's now 22nd of August, most kids are as prepped as they're going to be um, to go back to school this year. But if you've got a child in sixth class this year and you've struggled to get them into sixth class financially. And then you hear Jerry Farrell on the radio saying, well, next year it's going to cost you between 1500 and two grand. Um, telling people not to panic for this year, but now is the opportunity to lay those foundations for next year when that big bill is going to land on the doorstep. Yeah, and there's a couple of things there, Brian, and you're not wrong. So a couple of things. So the big bill doesn't land all in one fell swoop. So that's really, really important that mm. you're not going to be landed with a bill of 1500 or 2000 the first week in September, for instance. That's spread out over the over the year. And the second thing is if if you can, say using some portion of the children's allowance, if you can put some money aside, put it aside with that in mind uh, for the year ahead. Uh, and where would you put that? I would be saying put that into a savings account. It's going to earn next to nothing in interest, but uh, it's safe. It's with the bank or put it in the post office account don't be adventurous with this money you need this money next year or the year after <laughs> Christmas is coming you, Jerry I you, hate to use that word but it's not that far um, away we're 126 or 125 sleeps to Christmas but I didn't think I'd say that in August John Walsh there you go. is still in the studio he's probably going to accost you as you leave the building for saying something like that uh, and when we move back to uh, education for a second then and we talk about so primary and secondary, there are supports available to families and uh, and so reach out, check the supports available. Citizens Advice is a brilliant uh, website to check out, but there's the back to school uh, uh, clothing and footwear allowance that's available. There are other supports available, so you don't need to do this alone. That's the point. And I know it's people will feel stretched and it's a difficult time. It's a difficult time every year for, for yeah. families, so that's yeah. the truth of it. The third level one is... 
uh, perhaps even more challenging. So this is the one where you should have been preparing for some period of time uh, by way of, of, of maybe putting some money aside. So there is the Susie Grant which needs to be revisited, revisited, I think, and it will be revisited in terms of the means tested uh, portion of it and how you qualify or, and what designates someone who qualifies and doesn't qualify. I think that's going to be broadened out going forward. And there was so a report a yesterday thing. that there's only about 25% currently uptake on the €500 Euro grants to cover those third level tuition fees for people that obviously who are entitled to it. They reckon there's 40,000 people across the country who would be entitled to that grant and less than 8,000 had actually applied for it. So grants is going to be a huge thing. Maybe yeah. next week might be a good time to look at grants in a bit more detail if we can because they can seriously offset some of those third level costs. Yeah. Yeah, from a taxation perspective, and that makes that's a really good point. And also the student contribution piece, which um, has reverted in 2023 at the start of 2023 to 3,000 euro yeah. for the year. But uh, I'm expecting the budget in October to say it's going to go back to okay, 2,000. Jerry, listen, can you stay with me till after the news? Because sure. I want to ask you about a new energy provider that's come to the market talking about potential savings for clients of somewhere in the region of. 500 euros per year. Um, Jerry Farrell from Castleview Financial Services. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Thanks, Ashling. Um, both of us seem to be uh, hoping, willing, asking wishing, wanting for this summer to return. You're wearing a lovely summer dress yeah. today and I've gone with a pink linen shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, I have bad news here. I can just about see out the window from where I am now. Oh no. And it's not quite <laughs> as sunny as it was when okay. I came into studio this morning. So you mm-hmm. might you might need a little bit of a card. Exactly. Are you somebody who misses the sun when it's not there for you? Yeah, I love the sun. But then I say that and I get too warm and then I'm giving out. So do you know what? I'm never happy. So just ignore me. <laughs> yeah, the grass is always greener. Ashling, as always, a pleasure talking to you. We'll talk to you again at 12. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie Coming up in a few moments time we'll be talking to uh, the chair of the Carlo Community Games, Paul Duke um, about the hosting of the Community Games in Carlo but gracefully staying in studio uh, during the news. Jerry Farrell is still here uh, from Castleview Financial Services. Jerry, we were talking about school and college and all that before the news. Um, I wanted to move on to a news story that was breaking yesterday about a new energy provider coming into the electricity market. Well, they're sort of new, but they're connected to a company many of us will know called Prepay Power. How is what this new company you know um, going to deliver different from what they already do? Yeah, you're spot on, Brian. Uh, Prepay Power are already, already in the Irish market. I think they've got about 160-odd thousand customers and it is, as it says, on the tin, it is uh, prepay only is what they offer but the difference between them and their subsidiary uh, you know is that they'll offer you know will offer prepay but they'll also offer billing as well so it's an interesting one because they badge themselves as being um, more effective more efficient and uh, cheaper than the competition and uh, competition is good and we need competition in the energy market for sure they're initially moving into the electricity market uh, you know are and at, at some point later in the year they'll move into the gas market as well so it's quite interesting they say like you said Brian they say that they will save us up to 500 euro per year on our uh, on our bills annually and so I guess the test is in the taste so the Farrell family Inc are going to switch to Uno and I'll keep you posted are you going to make uh, the switch? I'm going to make the switch 
and we'll just trial it out over the next number of months, Brian, and we'll keep you posted as yeah. to how, how it works out. Yeah, testing it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're talking about a unit rate, I think, of somewhere at about 37 cent per kilowatt hour. Yeah, and, and they're uh, they're comparing themselves with some of the main competitors, and we're with Board Gosh at the moment, I don't mind saying that, and you know what, it, like all of us, if, you, if we can save money for doing the same kind of things or doing the same things a bit smarter and perhaps using an app on our phone a bit cleverer and keeping an eye on our energy usage and just perhaps taking a little bit more ownership of it because this is what I preach and I'm not doing it necessarily when it comes to our energy costs. So it'll be an interesting uh, litmus test over the next maybe 6-12 months. Yeah, I thought it was interesting yesterday when I heard the CEO speaking, um, he actually said that uh, obviously you have to be able to change so you can't be in a contract, you can't have switched in effect within the last 12 months but he said that so many people within the Irish market have actually been with their energy provider inherently for year after year after year that they didn't see that as a, an impediment to growing their own business have we not copped on yet that we need to be making these switches when we can yeah and we've gotten better actually we have gotten better um, in terms of switching and, and looking at the marketplace but there is inertia for a, a large amount of us and, and actually it's something in my own industry that we're looking at quite carefully as well I mean some of the big uh, I guess choices we make in life are about protecting our income protecting our lifestyle protecting our future and what are you paying to protect that so we're looking at that um, and acutely aware of the costs that people are incurring there because when you take a look at the market invariably often there are better priced um, structures or products available that cover the exact same yeah. needs. Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, question off script, but from our listeners, we're always delighted to get them in on the Dinner's Ready text and WhatsApp line. Uh, and this is, I suppose, uh, I was going to say it's a good news story. It's an inheritance. So, I mean, inherently, an inheritance is not a good news story, but you know what I mean. Um, I got 90,000 euros inheritance. What's the best place to lodge it? Okay, the first thing, uh, I thought the question was going to be, um, what tax liability do mm -hmm. I have? So one assumes that the 90,000 inheritance is clear of any liability, so there's no tax to pay well, on Maybe that. you've just given that person bad news. Maybe they hadn't thought yeah, about so that. Yeah, so they check that. That's the, that's the starting point. And, 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 and then uh, I think the question was, where's the best place to lodge it? So lodging it sounds like you just want to put it away, perhaps for a short term. So probably your bank or, or your billing society or maybe the post office but if you're looking for or aiming for a return in excess of um, what you can get on deposit at the moment that will involve capital risk yeah, yeah. and that involves a detailed discussion with someone like Castleview Financial Services <laughs> to talk <laughs> about plug, yeah, well, to talk about risk versus reward and sometimes uh, when, when you tease that out the potential reward doesn't outweigh the level of risk that yeah. people are willing to take sometimes. Yeah, Jerry, as always, a pleasure. Thanks for staying through the news. And um, let's looking forward to hearing how you get on uh, with your new energy provider in good time. Jerry Farrell from Castleview Financial Services uh, joining us on the show this morning. Well, good news also coming to Carlo because the first of a three-year term for Carlo to host the uh, National Community Games Finals is about to kick off and the uh, person responsible for organising everything, the chair of Carlow Community Games, is Paul Duke. And Paul joins us on the show. Good morning. Good morning to you, Paul. How are you and so all your listeners? Listen, it's great to have you on. Um, I mean, this is a good news story in so many ways, isn't it? Because the Community Games inherently is a great thing. And having it in Carlo for the next few years, uh, a great economic boost to the area, I would sort of suggest. 
at your brain. It's 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 fantastic. It's it's a dream come true for for Carlo itself, but also for Carlo Community Games. We'll have a representatives from 26 counties will come to Carlo say the weekend coming 26, 27 and um, so that in itself is a huge boost as you say yourself for, for every hotel bed and breakfast all the businesses you know yourself the restaurants yeah it's, it's, it's fantastic absolutely fantastic and it's not just one weekend of course it's um, I, I believe it's split over three weekends is that correct? Well, it's 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 two weekends in Carlow. There has been three weekends. Yeah, there's a Carmerstown is another weekend, but uh, we have we're lucky enough to have two weekends. And the main part happening down in SETU um, this weekend coming, where we'll have approximately three and a half thousand participants taking place, and obviously bringing their mother and their father and their brothers and God knows who else. So we're we're expecting uh, I suppose numbers up to fifteen to twenty thousand this weekend, and then we have the visual above another outstanding. A facility to have in St. Patrick's College, St. Leo's there, we will have approximately 2,000 participants, and, and I suppose, which will bring in rough figures, 10,000 there as well. Yeah, so it's two weekends, two packed weekends, it's two weekends to really look forward to, and it, it, listen, Brian, it creates such a great atmosphere in a small little town like ourselves, you know, the second smallest county in Ireland, so yeah, we're, we're thrilled, as everybody I think is thrilling, Carla, to have us coming to Carla. And this first weekend, what type of events are taking place this first weekend? Well, on the Saturday, Brian, it's, it's all the athletics. Uh, so you will have from the under eights to under 16s, all the different distances, hundreds, twos, fours, all the rest of it up along. So that's that's going to be a packed a packed uh, day starting at nine, and it hopefully it'll be finished around the five or thereabouts. And then the Sunday, we have all the team um, events, led be the hurling, the football, the soccer, camogie. And everything else that goes with it. So, like you down at SETU, they're, they're just fantastic. Um, Donald McNally down there is one of the director of sports, and Paula and that. They're they're just they're, they're unbelievable the way they just reach out and they know what they're doing, and that's the beauty about it. But I suppose right, they have the facilities in in Carlo to be able to host a national final, and and I think that's what we really is about to have those facilities. We are blessed. Just no point saying different. We are absolutely blessed to have them. And are there any calculations in terms of the economic impact on Carlow Town? What would you expect it to generate in terms of the economy? Well, I suppose it's a three-year deal, and, and it's very hard to put figures on it. Depends. I know uh, nearly every hotel, bed and breakfast is is probably booked out. More than likely, are booked out. There's no point in saying different uh, for the two weekends. So, I, as we could throw figures around, but I go I on. Then you might as well say I'd be I'd be optimistic and say throw 10 million there would be a fair <laughs> bit over over the, the couple of years and probably a lot more it depends how the spending power of people are but uh, I, I just see a different uh, avenue as well with it Brian be honest because we're not just the games I think we're we're putting Carlo out there like you know I have the tourism I got Carlo tourism and I sent it on to uh, national community games and to just put up all the links for the better breakfast and what to see in Carlo if you come to Carlo so we want to get people to come back to Carlo not just for national community games. We want to get them to come back and enjoy a weekend in all the different lovely surrounding places in Carlo. And as you said, a three-year deal. Was it a difficult deal to negotiate, Paul? How long did it actually take to get that agreement? Well, I, <laughs> it was probably going on for months and months. There's no point in saying different. There's a, as you know, anything like that at nationals to Carlo, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work going on. So, like, when you have a venue like SETU, when you have a venue like the Visual, 
um, and the people want to, they want it in Carlo, just that's the bottom line. Veronica Campbell, the new president down there in SETU, fantastic lady, she wanted, she wanted to showcase at uh, the college, and rightly so, because it's it's next to none. It's fantastic. So it it went on for months. Uh, Cardiff County Council came in behind us and roared in behind us in 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 a great way. Very very supportive national community games coming to Carlo. Um, I'll have to mention two names that I know I probably scalded it at the time, and that would be Finton Field and Darren Brian O'Donoghue. I had many many discussion with them. Uh, you could say with Carlo County Council, and going back a couple of years, you know, just. We had COVID and all the rest, so there was Zoom calls and all the rest. But, but yes, it, it takes a bit of time. But our CEO, David David Heistet, um, great man to work with, no pain to say different. Great CEO, great CEO for an organisation that he just wants to bring to the top and put what's best for the children. And that's the, that's the whole thing yeah, in here, is to have what's best for the children. So you go down to that running track, I'm sure you were down there, I'm sure you're around the fields, go up to the visual. And you've got the children to participate in these venues. It's just, you know, it's a dream come true for us, for, for so many children. So, yeah, it's it's great. It takes time. But there's a team of people, I could say. It's not just Paul Doog. It's, it's a team of people there that made this happen, as simple as that. And long may it live. Yeah. You get that opportunity, Brian, you know, bringing all those people to Carlo. Let's sell it on a different way as well. So I, I thank Carlo Tourism for sending me on all the links, which in turn sent them on. So it's about everybody working together and just making it happen. Absolutely. Brian, I, suppose. I mean, and there's no doubt, I mean, Carlo has such great facilities in terms of the new campus facilities, the likes of the visual, as you said. It's also um, geographically a very central location in Ireland, great for national events like this. Uh, do you think maybe we'll need more hotel bedrooms and B&B bedrooms in Carlo? Um, should Carlo to continue to showcase itself in such a positive light? Well, of course. Uh, of course, it wouldn't be lovely, I suppose, because I suppose uh, we need, you could say, we want everybody to try and showcase Carlo. We want more national finals, if possible, in Carlo. They'll be able to different sports and the different events. Um, I suppose the campus below... <laughs> I suppose it will come down the road that there'll be, you could say, it'd be down in ACTU where they'll have on-site campus, which in turn would help, you know, for people to stay over and all the rest. But, you know, myself and the CEO, we were just thinking outside of the box and we see it with fail and all the rest. We maybe will put it out there in, in next year, the year to come, that maybe there's families would like to host a family coming down and put them up and make the few pounds. And uh, because I think everybody has a little soft touch for community games. It's about children and everybody that has had children, having children, they're always trying to get them involved in some little thing. And, you know, the games is facilitates for everybody. There's a game there for everybody. Let you be uh, athletics or let it be chess drafts drama, music, gymnastics so uh, maybe it's, a, it's an avenue that we might look down and probably will look down I'll be honest I think it's a great opportunity mm. to, to get it out there on that line you know Yeah I think Carroll County Council could be missing a bit of a trick in that regard in terms of marketing themselves as a location to, to national governing bodies for, for national events like this you could see a situation where every weekend you know don't don't bother coming to Carlo for your tourists because we're jam-packed we're full it would be great to get it like that but also I know Carlo Community Games are celebrating their 50th year in existence this year and you've also been asked to host the National Community Games AGM which I think is due to be held in September uh, a real mark of respect and, and a, a warrant to seal if you like on the work that the Carlo Community Games have done over those last 50 years 
yeah it's, it's isn't it great like yeah i just i suppose i seized the opportunity last november when we were talking about our 50th anniversary in carlo and, and had put it to our one of our meetings that i'm going to look for the agm to be brought to carlo so uh, yeah i sent in a request and and pointing out the reasons why you should bring it to carlo and and 50 years being the main one i suppose and uh, i was lucky enough and blessed to be able to say yes we'll it's it's going to happen so that's going to happen on the 16th of september to say brian uh, it's going to happen in Lord Bagnell down in Lachlan Bridge, beautiful hotel. And um, yeah, looking forward to it. It's, it's, again, it just showcases a bit more, and people that will come down that weekend might get an opportunity to go for a walk in the Barra track there, lovely garden centre up beside it, and all the rest of it. So yeah, it's it's, it's fantastic. There's no pain in different. It's great. But Paul Duke, chair of Carlow Community Games, congratulations to you and all the team on securing the hosting of the National Community Games finals for the next yeah. three years. Enjoy the next couple yeah. of weekends. Just I'm before sh- I go, Brian, yeah, I just sure. want to thank Carlow County Council and Carlow Chicago because they are behind us the whole way and gives us every bit of support and they'll be there for us but to, to just wish all the, the participants the best of luck in all fairness it's 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 sound to them and to uh, thank all the volunteers by because without the volunteers this doesn't happen to hundreds of volunteers that give their time and energy most weekends to community games so this will be a weekend of many many volunteers but if any volunteer still wants to give their name just contact <laughs> national community games and uh, they'll find a job for them <laughs> always <laughs> looking for more help <laughs> thanks to you and thanks to Casey Lawrence. I know it's yourself, our pleasure you're our always pleasure. very very supportive yeah thank you very much I you're very welcome it. thanks for taking the time this morning Paul Duke chair of the Carlow Community Games nice chap Great to see such success coming to Carlow and, and, and such a hard-working team um, being rewarded by the hosting of those national games and indeed the AGM. Just on another note, uh, we're expecting some disruption to the water supply in Tower Road and Pilltown today um, from 12 o'clock until approximately 2. So you've got just over another half an hour to fill up the kettle or anything else you might need for the afternoon. We'll be back in a couple of moments when I'll be cha- talking to Councillor David Fitzgerald to discuss the idea of funding climate neutral cities. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. Yes, you're welcome back to KCLR Live. 24 minutes past 11 o'clock this morning. Just in terms of some of the guesses that you've been having on our mystery sound, John McCormick is asking me, um, is it a toaster popping? No, it's not a toaster popping. And it's also not somebody putting a duvet cover onto a duvet and flapping it about. Um, Neither of those things, but I will give you a listen to see if you can work out what this is. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR, with thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at Lahart's Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahart's.ie. Okay, so just so you know what you're playing for, it's 200 euros this week. This is the short version of the clue. Uh, we'll have a longer version for you tomorrow. That's it. If you can tell me what that is, you want to text or WhatsApp us on our dinners ready text on WhatsApp line 083 306 9696. I'll keep an eye on all of those guesses coming in. Etna will keep an eye on all the guesses coming in. And if you can get it right, you'll have 200 euros before 12 o'clock. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at Lahart's Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahart's.ie. Yes, now, uh, carbon neutral cities, carbon neutral living is what we're all trying to get to. The finance minister says his department will examine the idea of funding cities to become climate neutral. Joining me on the line now to discuss whether this is possible and how it could be funded is Councillor David Fitzgerald. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Brian. 
So, um, are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? And if so, are these announcements from the Department of Finance going to be any help to us? Well, I suppose the first thing is the only way we'll get there is by bringing everybody along with us. I mean, the the, the, the key to uh, achieving um, all our climate goals and to decarbonise our cities and our economies is is that people uh, make changes within their own lives and within their own homes and how they how they uh, how they interact as as a community and um, government needs to to lead by uh, providing the supports to allow people to, to transition. I mean, I I've, I've I've consistently said that if we want to achieve the goals that are set out to create a, a, a carbon neutral Ireland by 2050, um, we need we need people to make uh, real changes and government has to support that. Uh, you can't expect people to to be able to uh, heat their homes or uh, transport themselves or move around if there isn't uh, if there isn't transition funds made available by government. So uh, it's good to hear that the finance minister has uh, is making funding available uh, to achieve these goals. And um, have they specified how that funding could be structured and how it would be delivered? Well, there's already, and I find quite often people aren't aware, but there's significant grants available already uh, through Sustainable Energy Ireland, and I would recommend your listeners, um, even just looking at their own home needs, um, to go onto the SEAI um, website and uh, look up what grants are available on simple things like insulation, on heating systems, on upgrading uh, the energy rating of your home and, uh, and business um, so there, there are significant grants available there. What's happening at this stage is that, that government has now acknowledged that, that larger urban areas need to do more. And I've been, ma- I've been making this point during my term as mayor that we as a, as a local authority need to provide leadership uh, to the broader community in terms of how we do our business. So, that, so those transitions could be everything from the purchase of electric vehicles for, the, for, for our uh, our, our workers um, who are working within our city um, it, it can provide we've, we've seen a, a number of, of our city and, and civic buildings have been retrofitted um, to reduce the energy cost within these buildings um, we need to we need to put more car par- charging points within our city and our urban spaces and we need to um, we need to make it easier for people to to transition from one form of transport for example to another so there's a so there's not any one quick fix, but the important thing is that government is, is, is going to put their hand in, the, in, in their pocket and support people through that transition, and, and that has to be welcomed. I mean, Minister Michael McGrath has said that somewhere in the region of 250 million of additional capital funding will be available um, from windfall tax receipts uh, for the upcoming budget. Now, he's described that as being varied, uh, allotted across various departments. How much of that type of funding do you think we need to divert towards environmental um, efforts? Well, I suppose, firstly, I can't give you the detail of the budget because the Minister hasn't given us that detail, so I can't tell you exactly how that money is going to be spent or provided for. Um, I think there are any number of areas where the the Minister could make make funding available, uh, and I suppose we'll all have to wait until Budget Day to see see the detail around that. Uh, I think that the, the, the cost... Um, of these changes are going to be very significant, um, uh, and I don't think it, I don't think one budget is going to solve it by any manner of means. But I also and, and, and I keep saying this: we have to ensure that when we when we talk about sustainability from an environmental point of view, we also talk about sustainability in terms of 
uh, people's lives and businesses. You know, it's no point in bringing, putting on, for example, you know, extra carbon t- taxes on, on home heating oil and, and fuel if people don't have an alternative and if government isn't providing an alternative source of heat. So it's no point in making it more difficult for people who are on low incomes to heat themselves if you don't, if you haven't waited for um, alternative um, uh, low carbon um, heating solutions. So, for example, if somebody wants to put in a, a heat pump into their home rather than a traditional oil-fired boiler, um, then government should be supporting that. And I think that I think that the government have finally accepted that, that um, this transition has to the government has to lead by putting their own hand in their own pocket to make this transition work. Equally, you'll see it in farming. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about changes in farming to to achieve the the, the agricultural goals. But again, we've seen an awful lot of farmers who have built up successful farming enterprises that are now economically and financially sustainable, and they're now being told that they they may have to scale back that. And that's that's a big problem for for anybody who has invested heavily in their farm over the last number of years. And I think government has to support that transition. So. Farmers, if they're going, if they have a new policy around how farming is going to to operate from an environmental point of view, well, there's a long-established system through the targeted agricultural measures and um, TAMS, as it's known as, uh, where grants are available to to the farming community to help them to, through those transitions. So, I think the windfall taxes and uh, the surplus that we've seen at government level, um, there's some talk about putting all of that into a rainy day mm. fund. I think we should also fund. Um, significant capital works um, uh, outside of outside of government itself and uh, support um, uh, ordinary citizens and their businesses and their employers to um, to make that transition because businesses and uh, families um, can't afford to do this on their own. Yeah, you're talking about supporting people to make those decisions. I mean, there's a text in here from um, a listener, Celine. Uh, what would you do if people do not want to change over to electric cars? Could you see it getting to the point, David, where you know it's just simply impossible for, for people who may, for whatever reason, want to stay using fossil fuel-powered um, transport to stay there? Or will we eventually just not have petrol pumps available for people to attend? I think what we're seeing is we're already seeing a significant transition taking place. It's clear if you're going to if you're going to change a car that the, all the car manufacturers are now changing their the, their cars over to uh, either hybrid or electric only uh, platforms. So I think it, within by the time we hit 2030, I think it'll actually be very very difficult for people to buy a new uh, non hybrid or electric vehicle in some form or other. Um, I I. I think there has been a, an acknowledgement, particularly in the summer just gone by, where we've had awful weather and Europe has, has, has burnt and we're seeing wildfires in Canada. I think there's a general ac- acceptance that worldwide where um, that climate change is a reality. Mm-hmm. I don't think people have to be convinced of that anymore. I think, wh- I think where we're going to struggle is how people adopt that within their own lives. And I think, uh, I, I think we have to provide leadership on that front and uh, we have to also provide the money because as I say, it's all willing to say you should have an electric car, but if you can't afford an electric car, you're not going to get one. You know, you're just not going to get one. So we have to make sure that these things are these changes are affordable, and that people who are on lower incomes, in particular, um, and households who are on lower incomes, um, can can actually make change. I also on a slightly different note, I noticed, for example, recently that a significant number of people have installed electric panels, um, photovoltaic panels, on their roofs. Um, and are now you know, effectively reducing their load on the electricity system. 
But the way the system is set up at the moment, it's very much a middle-class change. So people who can afford these things are doing it. Yeah. But people who are on lower incomes and are under pressure to pay their electricity bill... And probably um, living in houses they, that they, are less they efficient they as well. The, they yeah. can't afford the transition. Yeah, OK. Um, it, also, just on another point before I let you go, we're just over a week away from hearing from uh, the Electoral Commission on what the future of the constituency of Kilkenny and Carlow might l- look like. Um, we recently heard uh, Sinn Féin TD Kathleen Funchen say that the Boundary View, which is due out on the 30th of August, is likely to see a divide between our two counties. Would you like to see a division between the Carlow Kilkenny constituency into possibly two three-seat constituencies? Well, I've said before on, on, on KCLR that, I mean, the, there are so many different combinations and options in terms of what the Electoral Commission could do. We could end up with two constituencies of a Kilkenny and a Carlow constituency, or we could look, we could find um, that the five-seat or Carlow Kilkenny will remain, but there'll be changes to some of the boundaries along the way. I think the important thing at the end of, uh, end of all of this is that, that we, have, uh, we have good representation and we have people emerging who are prepared to provide leadership uh, across the region. I also think that um, we have for too many years found ourselves talking about Carlo candidates or Kilkenny candidates and I think candidates need to accept that they represent the people of both counties and that there should be there should be vigorous efforts by, by all candidates to represent the entire constituency, whatever that is at the end of it, rather than simply looking at saying looking at their geography and saying, Well I'm a Carlo candidate or I'm a Kilkenny candidate. Once you're elected to Dáil Éireann for a constituency, you represent that entire constituency and you represent all the people within that constituency, whether they voted for you or not. Mm. And I think that that's, that's a key thing that has to re-emerge, is that um, once you, once you're, whoever is given the mandate by the public, that they have to they have to fight for every corner of that constituency and for every person within that constituency. And if it did end up being a two, three-seat constituency as opposed to a five, would you think that would make it practically impossible for the smaller parties um, or independents maybe to, to get in, into those roles of representation? I would never. I'd never be so certain that you can predict uh, elections. I mean, I've seen enough elections come and go to see that every election brings a surprise and uh, elections can see candidates emerge uh, where they catch the public imagination and uh, uh, new candidates can emerge and they can come from all sorts of political backgrounds and none. So I I think that it would be very uh, condescending to the public to to suggest that only people who are in one particular political stable or another can, can, can be successful. I think politics is a very fluid situation and I think that um, uh, candidates should be very aware that there are, there are no certainties and all seats are up for grabs and the public can change their mind and uh, put somebody in or take somebody out at a whim and uh, candidates should be very aware of that all, all on all occasions and I certainly anytime I face the public I've been very aware that my fate is in their hands Councillor David Fitzgerald, thank you very much for your time this morning joining us here on KCLR Live. It's 23 minutes uh, to 12 o'clock. It's time for us to take a short little break. KCLR Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Welcome back to KCLR Live. It's 21 minutes to 12 o'clock. I've been joined in studio by Donald Doyle from the newsroom here at KCLR with information on an urgent appeal, Donald, on a missing person. 
Yeah, Brian, look, um, we've had a bit of uh, sort of contact with the family in this case uh, and they've asked us to make this appeal. Um, They're looking for uh, Turlock Kelly. um, A message has been up on Facebook. Um, Turlock Kelly uh, went missing yesterday evening around five o'clock. His phone was found on the riverbank in the Linear Park in Kilkenny City last night. Um, Look, the family are looking for anyone who may have seen him. They've described him as wearing a hoodie, a green pants, and no shoes so if anyone saw him and could help the Gardaí maybe uh, who are involved in this search um, uh, any information that could track down his movements uh, or help them uh, find him at this stage and this is in connection to a story we've been running on news for most of the morning now. Yeah, you, mo- a lot of people around the city will be aware that the Coast Guard helicopter was up overnight. Um, the Department of uh, Transport called them in uh, to assist in the search. They were up uh, a lot of the night, so a lot of people will have uh, heard the helicopter, maybe seen the lights. Um, uh, it was searching uh, during the night and that search has been stood down. But Turlock has not been found and the family would greatly appreciate anybody's help uh, with any information uh, that could be provided for the Gardaí who are uh, investigating at the moment. So presum- for yeah, presumably any information that anybody might have, any s- witnesses seeing anything or coming across anything, get in contact with the Gardaí initially. Absolutely, that's uh, the best place to go at this stage. And uh, obviously you'll keep us up to date right throughout the afternoon we here on Casey. We will bring updates uh, as quickly as we can get them, Brian. Yeah, we will be in our bulletins throughout the day. Donald Doyle, as always, appreciate your expertise and uh, diligence with matters like this. Do stay tuned to us right throughout the day. We'll keep you fully up to date with any further information that we have. Um, Eleanor Peters is a play together in Carlow. She's from that organisation. She's also a member of the Federation of Early Child Care Providers. She's talking about the fact that the the whole industry is at a challenge and reaching the point whereby it's possibly unsustainable due to the costs of doing business. And Eleanor joins us on the show this morning to tell us more. Good morning, Eleanor. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Listen, just put us into some sort of light and some sort of understanding as to what types of financial challenges are being faced by operators in that that sector. Okay, so in... 2021 the government brought in core funding which is a payment given to childcare providers to help with financial costs of running the business so in order for us to avail of this help we had to agree to freeze our fees at the level they were at in September 2021 Um, the problem is for many providers including myself we haven't increased fees in a long time because we, we were also tied into a fee freeze during the pandemic because we were getting the wage subsidy scheme and just through one thing or another, a lot of people are actually still charging the same as they were charging in 2014, 2015. And unfortunately, the core funding is just not enough um, to plug the gap between what we should be taking in in fees and what we're actually getting between core funding. So we're not allowed to charge a single cent extra for anything um, other than what we've always charged. Um, yeah, so two years ago, we were locked into that. and. Just with inflation, everything is going up. Um, the staff wages have gone up because of the employment regulation order, which has come in, which is brilliant for staff because they get a higher wage now. Um, parents also get subsidies off their fees now through the National Child Care Scheme, which we are fully responsible for the admin of and running of. Um, and we just feel like as providers, we've been left behind. Um, our businesses are been taken over basically by the government because we're so strictly regulated now we can't even set our own calendars 
we can't do any kind of business decision which might help us to save the business such as increase our fees reduce staff you can't reduce staff because we're tied into ratios um and we're just helpless and we're just you know we, we don't know where to turn the smaller services the ecc only services winding down now they're closing because they're completely unsustainable on the level of government funding they're on um and for myself i three child care services full to capacity we have a team of 30 staff um and the cost it, the, the figures just don't add up we're barely covering costs at the moment and do you pull a lot so, of this down, Eleanor, to the, the signing up of, uh, you know, that, that core funding from the government? Um, do you think that's the moment when your hands were tied, so to speak, in terms of trying to control and, and, and guide your own business? Yeah, so, I mean, yes, we are private businesses, we're private operators, but we're operating as what the government calls partner services, which means that, you know, we, we, we do receive a lot of public funding. Um when we sign into core funding, we basically signed over control of our businesses to the government. So, I mean, you'll often hear politicians coming and saying, we need a public childcare system. It should be publicly run. It should be free for parents. This is what they are doing, but they're doing it on the backs of our businesses. So, you know, basically they're using our buildings, our resources, our staff, our expertise, our everything, and they're funding it Um through public funds but it's just it's not enough and we're, we're all just genuinely fearful in a year or two they're talking now about setting fee rates on a national index that we'll have to be within a certain amount of you know fees fees for our area it's, it's just scary what's coming down the line and i can see smaller services are closing already they're, they're just they've had enough they can't they can't cover the costs i mean i'm nine years trading now first time ever we've had to apply for an overdraft you know, it's it's not it 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 just doesn't add up. Um, we've never had that before, and it's not through mismanagement or, you know, trading recklessly. It's not like we're splashing cash around. We're not. We're literally trying to keep the doors open and the lights on and the staff paid to mm -hmm. look after the children. You know. I mean, I think anybody who's got a child in in these early because it is school it's education it's building up for the you know attending yeah. junior school it's it's such an important part of every family's life it allows parents um, you know there's very few single income households now almost every household that I know of both parents are having to work in some form or another if we haven't got access to services like those you provide that can't happen it's going gonna, it's gonna to potentially have a much bigger knock on for society if there's no access to, to early learning places yeah, and I think it's already happening in certain areas. I mean, I've heard of crashes with 80 places, 90 places closing down. Um, in Kildare, Cork, more recently, there was a big one. Um, it hasn't really hit Carlo to that extent yet. But, I mean, we have nearly 300 children between our three services. And if we were to go under, like, that's a lot. The kids are losing out. The parents can't go to work. You know, 30 staff out of jobs. Um, I don't want to scaremonger. Like it's not happening today or tomorrow, but in a year's time, two years' time, who knows what's going to happen? Mm. And you know, we're just we're hanging on there at the moment. But any any type of business step we try to take to do something is being shot down. Do you know? So we kind of said, okay, what ha what if, what if we get the after schoolers to bring in their own lunch? You know, so we we don't provide food that might cut a cost. No, if we do that, we have to raise our fee by ten percent. So there's no point, like. Um, and Eleanor, I mean, we also know, decided, we, yeah, we were going to, we were going to try and charge an annual, an annual admin charge, so one euro per week, 
Um, we were asking for 50 euros a year. We've been told now by the County Child Care Committee, no, you're not allowed to do that. I don't have so I'm just at my wit's end. We have two people yeah. doing full-time admin, running the government schemes for them, getting the discounts for the parents for them. But at the end of the day, our fee is the same fee as it was in 2014. We're not gaining anything out of this. Yeah, you know? I, I, what I was going to comment on, Eleanor, is just before you mentioned it yourself, is you do actually sound stressed. You do genuinely sound at your wit's end. Um, how long more do you think you could sustain providing the services that you are unless something changes? Well, I don't know. This is the latest thing now is that we're not allowed to charge the admin fee that we were hoping to do, which is one euro a week, um, just to kind of cover towards running these schemes for the government we were hoping to get a bit of a injection through that um, but that's gone now so and if you could I go back know. to the day when you signed up for core would you still sign on that dotted line probably not and that's what we're actually looking at now and this is going to affect the parents at the end of the day because if we try to keep the doors open we, we withdraw say from core funding parents are looking at a 40 to 50 percent increase on their fees to you know to cover what core funding would have given us and then what what's missing from core funding um, and you you, know, you reckon that's that there's enough need for those services that actually even if you were to say to the market you know to the people to the parents who have children in your facilities and um, we've decided we're going to withdraw from core funding that means that prices that you pay are going to have to increase by 40 or 50 obviously a lot of them wouldn't be able to afford yeah. to do that and would leave but there's probably enough business out there for people struggling to get places that you'd probably um, recover that lost business quite quickly yeah I mean it's it's always an option just to go what, what you'd say fully private and not offer any government schemes at all you know but I mean none of us came into this you know to become millionaires or to make money we're all about trying to run a quality service that's affordable yeah. accessible you know equality based and that includes the parents and the children we don't want to have to do that but if the option is to do that or to close our doors I mean that might be something we need to look at and I'm just so sad about it yeah. you know it's just it's it you, shouldn't be this way you can it hear it, you can hear it. I can hear it in your voice there's no doubt about that I mean there's a public meeting coming up in Enniscorthy um, this Thursday at 7pm that's in the Riverside Park Hotel Court um, yeah. is that a public public meeting or is it just for people who are providing these services no, so it's been run by the Federation um, of Ch Early Childhood Providers. Um, Elaine Dunn, the chairperson, will be in attendance there along with some members of the committee. Um, there will be a couple of TDs in attendance. There's going to be some media there. We would encourage anyone who's interested, would like to find out more, who would like to support us to come along here. There will be more people like myself basically getting up and saying this is how it's affecting us. And a lot of the time when parents hear the actual nitty-gritty of what we're going through, they're actually horrified. They say, mm. we've had no idea that this is going on, like this is not right, something has to be done. Well, listen, and what the Federation is looking at now, and you know what I will be getting involved with as well, is a three-day closure in the final week of September. Um, because in the past, this is the only way that, we're you know, that we can kind of get a bit of notice from the department, um, is just to close our doors and say, we can't, we can't operate. Um, you know, we need a meeting, we need engagement, we need solutions. We're not, you know, if the money's not there to put into core funding, look at other ways. You know, they can look at the employer's PRSI maybe to reduce that yeah, yeah. or to look at rates. And, you know, and we're, just we're, to ask you, sorry, on that, on that three-day closure, like, so. is, is that three-day closure uh, right across Kilkenny and Carlow or is it just for your business? This is something the Federation is calling every okay. provider 
in the country to do, how many will get on board with it, I don't know. A lot of people are fearful as well that if they close, their funding will be withdrawn so that, you know, they'll be down on money. They'll have to, obviously, staff will have to be paid for those three days. There's no question about that. Um, obviously, parents can't be charged for those three days, you know, so a lot of people are fearful about it. But I just feel the time, you know, we need to just stand up and say this can't carry on because there's a crisis looming. It's starting to rumble now and it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And parents will only realize it when they go and try. They already can't find places in crashes as it is. You know, we have room to expand. We have options to expand. We have no money to expand, Mm. you know, so... Eleanor Peters, we'll stay in touch, we'll check in with you. Hopefully it won't get to the point where you do have to engage in that three-day closure, but if it is looming, we'll talk to you you a little bit closer to that time. Uh, Thanks for your time this morning. That's Eleanor Peters from Play Together in Carlo, uh, also a member of the Federation of Early Child Care Providers, talking about the challenges faced by that sector. It's just coming up on seven minutes uh, to 12. We're going to take a short break after which Etna and I will be having a chat about all of the mad entries coming in to try and identify the VW ID mystery sound. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie KCL very welcome back to KCLR Live. It is six minutes uh, to 12 o'clock. I'm joined in studio by Ethnic Ware. Good morning, Ethna. Good morning, Brian Redmond. Good morning so far. Yeah, good. Really busy morning. Yeah, I mean, just actually on that last last story, I mean, you've got uh, a, a number of children in your house, so I've got a number of children in my house. Mm-hmm. Would you have been able to get through your own career without access to the likes of early learning centres and, you know, creches and things like that? Yeah, no, look, we avail of the um, early morning before school breakfast club and after school as well for certain days in our house. So um, the, the creche services have been vital yeah. for us as a family yeah so mm. look I hope um, and I think vital for the children as well because I think it's it's great you know I, when I w- went to low babies as it would have been called back in the day <laughs> I think they were chucking us in there at three and a half and four years of age I mean it's a little bit later now but I think children do need that little bit of a bridge between uh, the mother or father's lap and uh, the school bench don't they uh, look I think it's a very personal choice I personally would have preferred to have been with mine but um, you know that that's the way it works but heading on into primary school I suppose um, it is great that those early uh, education opportunities exist for for children yeah yeah I, I, and I, parents <laughs> and parents well I mean I was always as as a man as uh, one of the privileged half of society I was always out the house at first thing in the morning but uh, you know in terms of Jen, my wife, being able to get back into working. The household, I mean, financially, in terms of being able to do that, it just about made enough sense to get involved in those uh, early back-to-school facilities. And thankfully, we got a nice balance. But if they weren't there... I dread to think what life would have been like. We've been doing our VWID sound all morning. Uh, give, we'll give them one more little listen to it, will we? The Volkswagen ID sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit laharts.ie. Now, we're still on the short clue. We, we have yeah. a long one for tomorrow, haven't we? We do. I'm, I'm going to be kind tomorrow and allow, allow that long one to go out. The short one's only one second long. How long is the long one? I think it's like seven or eight, is it? 
Yeah, I'm not sure it's quite that that much. We'll, we'll see. Oh, I might come go somewhere on, in between. A little I'll bit more somewhere. generous. I mean, it's going to be hump day tomorrow. I'll, I'll see tr- how the sun is out. We'll see how we go later in the day. But some really interesting ones coming through. So just it's not putting out the rubbish and it's not a suitcase being removed from a luggage belt. Great guesses. Yeah, interesting. Creative yeah. people. Have a little listen to it. See if um, those guesses combined with the sound um, inspire something in you. Any inspiration there, Ethna? <laughs> <laughs> no. 083-306-9696. It's the Dinner's Ready text and WhatsApp line. Um, it's Wednesday tomorrow. The prize is worth €200 Euros at the moment. And uh, you have had it confirmed exclusively here on KCLR. We will have the long clue tomorrow. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahearts.ie. Then on Thursday, you're bringing me out, aren't you? On Thursday? Yeah. Yeah, we're off to Ivark. Yeah, I've never been. Ah, it's super. It's great. We're there. Yeah, listen, we'll be, we'll be there on Thursday. So we'll be meeting all the people behind the scenes. There'll be a massive operation getting set up for Saturday when Edward Hayden will be casting live from the show on the day. So we'll be yeah behind the scenes from the Ivark show and Tara will be with us. So you can tune into our socials and have a look at all of that. And we'll ha- be asking you about show ponies and cattle. <laughs> and <laughs> they, I have to say, Etna for our listeners at home, Etna loves when we go rural here on KCLR Live because... Um, I, I would never describe myself as being out of my depth because I like to think I'm good at blagging my way through mm-hmm. uh, stuff that I don't know about. But uh, rural uh, stuff, uh, I'm definitely going to need a little bit of a hand for. But I am looking forward to going out and seeing all the prep for the Ivark show. As you said, Edward Eden will be out there live all day on Saturday, but somebody's got to go and uh, prep the ground for Edward and we shall be doing that live from Ivark all through Thursday. Mm-hmm. So Indeed. do stay tuned. Lots of that still to come. The VWID sound still worth €200 Euros tomorrow, but do get your guesses in 083 306 Thanks, as always, to you for being with us for the last couple of hours. Thanks to all of the team um, who work on the show. Do stay tuned right throughout the noon, afternoon. The news team will be working hard to keep you updated with that appeal for the missing person. And uh, John Keane has lots of great music for you. All that's still to come. And I'll be back with you at 10 tomorrow morning. Take care. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie.